Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. My name is Brian, and along with me as usual is our co-host, Jeff. Jeff, good morning. How are you? Yeah, Brian, uh, looking forward to today's study. Yeah, so this is kind of the third part of a mini-series, if you will, that we've done on getting to know. And we started out with getting to know God. Then in our last episode, we talked about getting to know Jesus. And in this one, Jeff, we're going to talk about getting to know the Holy Spirit, which uh, might, for some, be kind of uh, the more mysterious of the three in the Godhead. Um, Yeah, and I can certainly agree with that. You know, honestly, I don't know how much of that, you know, comes from the uh, King James Version uh, that referred to him as the Holy Ghost. Uh, uh, yeah. People think of that as, you know, like, like some spooky kind of thing. Um, and also being an entity that we can't see. And so, yeah, there's, I can easily see people uh, latching their minds around the concept of like God the Father and you know jesus as his son but you come to the holy spirit and yeah it, it can be kind of a, a mysterious uh subject yeah and i like your point about holy ghost because that can be a little confusing especially you know as you mentioned i mean ghosts you know a lot of people think of them as well do they exist you know they're mysterious and so forth and also i, I think some of this can be attributed to you know all the false doctrine in the world around the Holy Spirit's nature, his purpose, his role in our lives today. And so really for our listeners, that's what we want to accomplish in this podcast is really truly learning who he is based on God's word, right? Not our speculation. And so, you know, we're looking we will let the scriptures tell us or teach us what work God has given him to do, what role he has in our lives today. And then we also kind of along the way want to address some misconceptions about him, such as that he indwells in each one of us today and miraculously gives us knowledge, or you know we are baptized, some believe, by the Holy Spirit today. Um, and then there are even some that actively teach and believe that the Holy Spirit gives us miraculous spiritual gifts, such as speaking in tongues and prophecy, etc. So the good news is the Bible is really clear on the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do to start with Jeff, I guess we're going to go ahead and, and kind of talk about his nature, right? Like we did in the first two of this series. And so let's just see what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, exactly. And I think we can learn a lot from a, I'll call it a wide variety of scriptures, that each of them sort of gives us a glimpse of different aspects or characteristics or roles or whatever uh, that he has. You know, for instance, starting off, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, actually verse 3 and 4, yeah, 3 through 5, um, where, you know, Paul is saying, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so in this first verse or first context we see god the father we see the lord which probably most likely is, is jesus and we see you know one spirit uh likewise in john chapter 16 verse 8 we get a little glimpse that the holy spirit convicts and is also a helper uh starting with verse 7 nevertheless i tell you the truth this is jesus speaking it is to your advantage that i go away 
for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And of course, he's talking to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And of course, we'll get a little bit later on. We'll see where that actually uh, occurred uh, in Acts 2. So already we see, you know, he's a helper. He is like Jesus. In some ways, he will result in convicting the world. Uh, he comforts uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Of course, this is after the uh, conversion of Paul, where he's talking about in verse 31, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. This is the, the church is experiencing relief uh, after Paul's conversion. So here the Holy Spirit comforts believers. Brian? Yeah, we're also told that the Holy Spirit teaches, and Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Uh, we are told and taught that he renews, Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, uh, and we'll begin in verse 4 here. It says, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And then we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, how he seals. So you'll notice here, if you look, it says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And, of course, within that immediate context, you know, guarantee, uh, I think the underlying word is like, you know, down payment or a promissory kind of note. Uh, continuing on, uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, of course, Jesus is, has been resurrected at this point and is about to ascend back to heaven. Uh, and he's uh, discussing, you know, coming events with his disciples, starting uh, again with verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Of course, we see that actually occurring in Acts 2. Uh, we understand that the Spirit is truth, or source of truth. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 6. There is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Uh, likewise, Jesus, refer, talking to the disciples again on the night he was betrayed, uh, John chapter 16, verse 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Uh, and likewise, he's a guarantee of our inheritance, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, which is similar to the verse Brian said earlier, being the sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, again, an earnest or down payment as a pledge. So we see, you know, he, he's got a lot of roles, certainly, and certainly a lot of promises that Jesus made to his uh, disciples, to his apostles, 
that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit, you know, not many days after his ascension into heaven. Yeah, we learn next that he bears witness. Over in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We then learn that he has power. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we move on to learn that he brings righteousness, peace, and joy. And so as we go through these, what you'll notice is there's a lot of synonymous thoughts here, right? Synonymous attributes, righteousness, truth, power, so forth. So here bears righteousness, peace, and joy. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And Jeff, before I turn it back over to you, some of these I know, you know, just reading, it might be confusing to some, but uh, just want to let our listeners know as we go through this podcast, we're going to elaborate on a lot of these attributes that we see. So hang in there with us, and uh, a lot of this will be clear as we go through. And actually, Brian, that's a good point. Let me hitchhike on that for a moment. Because in a lot of these cases, it may say the Holy Spirit does X or does something, but it doesn't necessarily say how that's done. And that, more often than not, can be a source of confusion. You know, yes, we would agree the Holy Spirit does X, but how? And as you alluded to, we'll, we'll get more into that as we continue. Uh, for example, uh, Romans 5.5, uh, 5, he pours out the love of God in our hearts. Uh, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Oh, here's another one. He helps with our weaknesses and makes intercession for us when we pray. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, we understand that the Holy Spirit, and this is an interesting one, he can be grieved uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He has emotions, which I thought is interesting. Yeah, so for the next two, we see that he guides and moves, uh, which are similar. Uh, John chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And and kind of in a similar way, Second uh, Peter chapter one and verse twenty-one talks about how he moved men, in essence guiding them. And it says, "For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit." So, you know, this was not something. And it's important because when you read the Bible, it's critical to understand that it's not only inspired but literally written by the Holy Spirit through men. That's what we're learning here. And then uh, sanctify 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren and beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation 
through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Uh, we also understand that the Holy Spirit justifies. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Uh, I tell you what, Brian, why don't you go ahead and read that, 9 through uh, 11, since it's a little bit of a lengthy reading. Okay, here it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Exactly. Washed, sanctified, and justified by the Spirit. We understand, according to Mark chapter 13, verse 11, that the Holy Spirit speaks uh, what we might call inspiration. Uh, but when, and of course, this is again Jesus talking to his uh, apostles. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Uh, here's another interesting aspect where the Holy Spirit forbids when directly guiding the apostles. Uh, we have an example of that in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, uh, speaking about the uh, apostles. Now, when they had gone through Pergia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Malaysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So actually not only giving them words to say, but also guiding them where to go. So we're taught that he testifies, John chapter 15, verse 26, but when the Helper, referring to the Holy Spirit here, when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, this is Jesus speaking, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit also leads, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And then we're told that he reveals. So Ephesians chapter 3, we'll begin here in verse 4. It says, you know, Paul's talking about the mystery of Christ, which he says in verse 5, has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And then he unites. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, we are told that we should endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so really, Jeff kind of gives us an idea of how unique the Holy Spirit is. You know, we were talking about the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all share one purpose, but they all have distinct roles and responsibilities. And what I like about this list is it really kind of helps us to understand what work God gave the Holy Spirit to do and how it differed from the work he gave Jesus to do, for instance. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Um, and so that kind of wraps up our first section with, you know, rapid fire list of verses and the different, you know, roles and things that the Holy Spirit uh, uh, is or does or is responsible for. Now, I think what we want to do, Brian, is sort of take a step back and, and ask ourselves the question, okay, given all those different verses, what kind of role or work did God give the Holy Spirit to do in the first century? which we'll talk about for a little bit. Uh, and then we want to follow that up a little bit later in our podcast with what kind of work or role does he have now 
because I know that's that's certainly a, a point of confusion. Brian, any uh, closing thoughts on this first section before we uh, transition to the next one? Uh, no, let's go ahead and dive right in. Okay. So again, the question is, what work did God give the Holy Spirit to do in the first century? You know, kind of looking at a composite of the verses we just went through. Well, first of all, yeah, the Holy Spirit's uh, role, if you will, was to guide the apostles unto all truth. Uh, now, that sounds a little bit unusual until you actually look into the situation where Jesus trying to deal with his disciples, trying to teach them. Oftentimes they didn't get it, etc. So as Jesus was wrapping up his ministry, you know, about to be betrayed, crucified, etc. You know, he made certain promises to them. Uh, and we saw that in John chapter 16 with uh, verse 12, where Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And likewise, John 14, 15 through 7, where it talks about the Holy Spirit was sent to guide his apostles by dwelling within them. So, number one, to guide the apostles, to give them you know, inspiration unto truth or in order to have truth. Um, Part of that was also to bring to the apostles' remembrance what Jesus had taught them, uh, John 14, 25, and 26. Uh, again, talking about the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things, will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Uh, certainly give them verbal inspiration, if you will. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. Jesus talks about, I'm sending you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. Uh, he warns them that they will be delivered up to councils and scourged in synagogues, brought before governors and kings, and comforts them to some degree by saying, when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. So here we have you know, not only the apostles being guided as to what truth is and being reminded of the truth that Jesus taught, but now the things that they start saying, again, are guided by the Spirit. Uh, also, in terms of guidance, the Holy Spirit guided them where to go and where not to go. And, and we kind of saw that in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. Uh, we also uh, see in Acts 16, a little bit further on in the passage, uh, 9 through 10, where a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And, of course, through that vision, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, guided Paul, you know, away from certain sections and to other sections over into Macedonia, or what we would call Greece. So in terms of, uh, you know, guiding them into different places, in terms of giving them words to speak, and on top of that, giving them power, miraculous power, to demonstrate that indeed what they were preaching came as a truth from God. Uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 talks about when you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Uh, Acts chapter 2 uh, verses 4 where given on the day of Pentecost with certain miraculous manifestations, loud, mighty, rushing wind. Uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, of course, referring to the apostles, 
They were all filled with Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, foreign languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. A little bit later on, Acts 3, uh, a lame man was healed. Uh, Acts 5, verse 12, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. So we have the miraculous now confirming the credentials, if you will, of the apostles that are now speaking the truth, you know, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, it goes beyond just them talking to their audiences uh, in terms of giving mankind, humankind, uh, humanity, uh, the fully revealed word of truth. We see that to some degree in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where it talks about all scriptures given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, in some ways, we see that the, the apostles and the New Testament prophets were not only directly guided by the Holy Spirit to speak God's truth, but also to write it down. And we see that uh, through the writing and the preservation of the Gospels, uh, as well as the letters from Paul to various congregations uh, in the Mediterranean area, uh, letters from James and, and Jude and John, etc., and of course, this becomes very important to us because it gives us God's guidance, his expectation, uh, the ability to test uh, what's true from what's false, First uh, John 4.1, uh, the ability to turn around and convict and convert others, uh, and, and you'll give ourselves a pathway for eternal life. But there's one other interesting aspect of the role of the Holy Spirit you know, within the first century. And that is not only were the apostles, you know, Jesus' direct disciples, you know, given some of this miracle working power, but we also see that they were able, the apostles were able to pass on this power by the laying on of hands, quote unquote, laying on their hands of these, that they could give some spiritual gifts, miraculous gifts, to others for to work the, the Lord's purposes. Uh, we see that beginning with Acts 6 and 6, when several people were chosen to help out with the you know, daily uh, benevolence, if you will, uh, of some of the poor believing you know, widows there in the congregation. Uh, and that once these group of men were chosen, they were set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And if you skip down a couple of verses to Acts 6, 8, one of them being Stephen, full of faith and power many wonders and signs among the people. This is the first time in the book of Acts where someone other than the apostles did miraculous things. Of course, we see the connection back in verse 6 to having had the, the apostles' hands laid on them. Uh, we see that continuing on in Acts 8, verses 14 through 19. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria now had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Of course, this is from a miraculous perspective. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, now watch it, this is verse 17. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And one of the Christians in the audience, by the name of Simon, verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So he realized how the Spirit was 
uh, miraculously given to others other than the apostles. Now we see something uh, roughly somewhere in Mark 16, verses uh, 15 through 18, where Jesus is commissioning his uh, disciples, his apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now notice verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, languages, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, they will by no means hurt them, they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Uh, so we see that, you know, through the apostles, other Christians were able to perform these kinds of miraculous uh, gifts. In fact, Paul, when he comes, or when he's sending a letter to the Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, he spends three whole chapters talking to them, uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14, uh, giving them guidelines for how to exercise these miraculous gifts, which included miraculous wisdom, miraculous knowledge, faith, you know, healings, miracles, prophecy, you know, discerning of spirits, speaking in foreign languages or interpreting foreign languages. So, you know, the Holy Spirit played a, a very active, miraculous role, not only in guiding the apostles to know the truth, to speak the truth, to write the truth, to confirm the truth with miracles, but also to, to pass along some of these you know, miracle-working powers to the early disciples. Brian, any additional thoughts from your perspective? Yeah, I hope the listeners picked up on uh, the word active that you use, because I think that really describes what the Holy Spirit was doing in the first century. He had a very active role as you touched on, you know, guiding the apostles into all truth, reminding them what Jesus had taught them. Uh, as you also pointed out, you know, what they should say when they were brought before kings and rulers. And so I hope our listeners understand, you know, he, he served a very active role because it, it was necessary. It, it ensured that only the truth as God wanted taught was being taught, that the miracles that they were miraculously able to perform confirmed that what they were saying was from God, as you mentioned. And so, once again, like to emphasize that word active, we would then, so that we can ask today, is he active in the same way today? Or is he maybe active in a different way today, Jeff? Because as you know, there's a whole lot of false doctrine out there where, you know, we'll get more into this, but, you know, th there's this thought that he miraculously still indwells us today and is active in our lives in the same way he was active in the apostles' lives in the first century. Right, and, and you know, to that point, and I know you're going to get a whole lot more into that in a few moments, but one of the things I find interesting is that even though some people today will claim, yes, the Holy Spirit is still active, doing the same things today as he did you know, 2,000 years ago, for the most part, none of the people that make those claims are writing scripture. You know, they're not writing, you know, uh, you know, first Jeff and second Jeff and third Jeff, you know, to some congregation in North America, you know, providing ongoing guidance and, you know, the latest instructions from the Holy Spirit, thus saith the Lord, you know, here's how we need to respond to the COVID crisis, or here's how we need to respond to, you know, the promotion of abortion, or, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, for the most part, they're not saying you know, we're continuing to expand the Bible on a continuous, ongoing basis. Yeah, and as we go along, we're going to answer, well, why? Why is that? Why is he not active in the same way? And I think we'll see that the role that the Holy Spirit serves today 
differs in some respect than it did in the first century because the truth has been fully revealed. So we'll certainly get more into that. So now let's shift gears and talk about that. You know, how does the Holy Spirit help us today? Well, the Bible teaches us that he guides us through the word he revealed. Over in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching. And then it goes on to say, And admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So we might ask, well, how do we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom and teaching? Well, the word dwells in us when we study it, and through repetition, ingrain it into our lives. So it doesn't help us to just read God's Word. We really need to meditate on it. We need to understand it. We need to apply it. And then once again, like any other habit, we have to, through repetition, ingrain it into our lives. We see over in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, I have the King James rendering here where it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that makes it clear that it's our responsibility to study, to understand, and correctly divide means that you are correctly interpreting what God's word is teaching. Uh, And then as we just kind of touched on, you know, we continue to grow and mature over time by applying the Lord's principles. So passages like 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And notice, as we read these verses, it's putting the responsibility on us. So for those that would think, well, we're miraculously indwelled with this knowledge, you know, if we sleep on our Bible, it'll just come into our head. The Bible doesn't teach anything like that. Um, it puts the responsibility on us. Uh, Jeff, could you read for us Second Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 11, which also further emphasizes how it's our responsibility to grow and to add to our faith. Certainly, beginning with verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Appreciate that. And so what our listeners hopefully we'll see the Bible is teaching us in this section that number one, as we saw in verse three, he has given us, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God gave that to us through his son when he lived on this earth and he was the living example and and was the truth on earth. And then after he left, went back to heaven, the Holy Spirit was sent 
to reveal and to remind as we touched on earlier. So therefore, we have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. And we see that same thought in Jude verse 3, where it talks about the faith which was once revealed. So it's been revealed. We have it. Now, verse 5 tells us, for this reason, give all diligence. So that means we put in our best effort to add these spiritual qualities that Jeff just read, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and so forth. And then notice in verse 9, it says, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. So that goes back to saying, hey, it's your responsibility. If you don't show all diligence, if you don't make every effort to add these qualities to your faith, then you're short-sighted and even blind. And then verse 10, be more, even more diligent to make your call an election. Sure. So all these verses just continue to emphasize how it's our responsibility that God has given us the tool, if you will, with the truth. Now it's up to us to actually study it and apply it to our lives. And, you know, we had a series on adding to your faith that covered this very section of scripture uh, by evangelist Alan Hitchin. He went through uh, this in detail. And you can listen to that if you haven't already in podcast episodes 40 through 48. So I encourage you to do that where we really dig into each of these spiritual qualities and and see what the Bible tells us uh, that they are. Uh, Titus chapter 1 in verse 8, I always found it interesting that one of the qualifications of an elder is that they must be holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, it says, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So the elder has a responsibility to allow the truth to teach him. And once again, he needs to demonstrate that he has consistently applied this if he wants to meet the qualifications of being an elder. All right, so we just talked about how, you know, the Holy Spirit guides us through the word he revealed. He also reminds us, and Peter here uh, also talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3, how he wrote these epistles to remind the brethren. He says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So I think we would all agree, you know, we can study God's word, understand it, apply it. But there are times where we forget a certain principle and we need to be reminded. So that's why we continually study. That's why when we go to worship, we, we tend to have classes and we have sermons to stir our, ourselves up by way of reminder. And, and so, you know, it's important because we forget. Uh, also, you know, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit helps us today by convicting us of sin. And this was one of the attributes that we talked about earlier. So John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus says, and when he, the Holy Spirit he's talking about here, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Well, how will he do that? Well, through the truth. And so the truth helps us to realize that we're sinners, that we're in need of salvation, in fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us this. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that says that it's pretty powerful, right, if it's able to do all of that. So the Holy Spirit convicts us through the truth. And then in Acts chapter 2, and I, we'll get more into this uh, in a little bit, after they heard the sermon from Peter, 
where he pretty much helped them to understand that they put Jesus on the cross and therefore were guilty. And, you know, in passages like Romans chapter 3, it talks about all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So after they were convicted based on this truth that the Holy Spirit revealed through Peter, we're told in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That means they were convicted and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And if uh, you're familiar with this section of scripture, you'll know that in verse 38, Peter tells them, repent and let every one of you be baptized for the remission of sins. And so uh, it gives us a good idea once again of how the Holy Spirit today through the word actively works in each one of our lives. Jeff, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, Brian, you make a lot of good points there. That, that let me kind of highlight for a moment. You know, a lot of scriptures, you know, written during the first century when the apostles were being directly guided by the Holy Spirit, you know, to write these things down. You know, they're sending the message out, and part of that message says, Hey, you Christians, you need to study, you need to be taught, you need to give diligence, you need to be mindful of what you're reading, you need to grow in that kind of knowledge, etc. Now, Consider that this was at the same time that the apostles are being directly guided by the Holy Spirit. In fact, remember Jesus' promise you know, to the apostles uh, that we read earlier in Matthew chapter 10, where he said, hey, don't give any thought to what you're going to say. Don't worry about what you should speak, because it'll be given to you. You know, The Holy Spirit is going to guide you into exactly what you need to know, what you need to say, etc., which is in very stark contrast to these apostles now turning and say, hey, you guys need to read, you need to study, you need to, you know, remember what we've already taught you. Explicitly to say that, hey, the Holy Spirit is not going to give you the same ongoing, direct, miraculous knowledge that you're going to have to actually, you know, you know read and learn and study it. Uh, so that's, that, there's a big distinction there between what was going on in the first century versus you know what's going on today. Brian, any other thoughts before we uh, transition to the next topic? I appreciate all those good points. And I think one of the key points for our listeners is that because the f- truth has been fully revealed and it's available to us, so it doesn't need to change. It's been fully revealed. We have everything we need. You'd have to ask yourself, well, then what point would miracles or any miraculous revelation served today. It really wouldn't serve any purpose because it's already been revealed. So anyhow, hopefully that's coming across, right? <laughs> right. Well, and not only revealed, but also already confirmed. Right. right. In terms of the you know the miracles, you know, recorded in the first century, recorded in the scriptures, you know, for, for our benefit. So that kind of takes us to the next section, which is a very uh, popular topic. And I might also say a, a popular misconception regarding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, a lot of people today will say, hey, you know, the New Testament talks about being baptized, and that baptism is a baptism by the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit that gives you miracle working ability. Uh, now, certainly the New Testament does talk about a baptism, uh, but as we'll see in a few moments, it is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, starting off, the reason why I say that is, first of all, when we go into the New Testament, there are only two recorded examples, uh, and a third inference, I might add, 
uh, of this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And these were for unique purposes, uh, as we'll see. You know, first of all, you know, Jesus promised this baptism, you know, to his apostles, uh, as we saw earlier in Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 4 and 5, where he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. Again, this is the Helper, the Holy Spirit, etc. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So it's a particular audience and a particular time frame. And we see that fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a mighty uh, rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we certainly see the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit from Jesus to his apostles given and actually executed You know, in Acts 2. So that's one example. The second example, uh, fast forward about five to seven to eight years uh, to Acts chapter 10, uh, beginning with verse 44 through 45, where the context is, you know, Cornelius, a Gentile, has been miraculously instructed to summon Peter. Peter's been miraculously instructed to go to Cornelius, Cornelius being a, a Gentile, and to say certain words to uh, Cornelius. So this is like a big deal. You know, this is, you know, Peter um, in some ways representing, you know, a Jew from a Jewish perspective, if you will, you know, now preaching the gospel to a Gentile audience. This is a very significant thing. So in Acts chapter 10, verses starting, verse, starting with verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, now these are the words that they had to understand and, and obey, while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, the Jews who were with Peter, who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now, you ask yourself, if you're not that familiar with the, with the context, why was that so significant? Well, if you roll forward over to Acts chapter 11, verses 15 through 18, you know, Peter's kind of replaying the story, you know, back to the other, you know, Jewish Christians in, I believe it's in Jerusalem. And Peter says, and as I began to speak, you know, he hadn't even finished his sermon yet. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as upon us at the beginning, as in Acts 2. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. Even as we see, you know, in, in Peter as part of his sermon back in Acts 10, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. 
in essence, the gospel now is for all, both Jew and Gentile. There is no uh, distinction uh, of being a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as quote-unquote God's chosen people. That now the gospel is for all, both you know Jew and Gentile. So indeed, very significant. So this is the second example we have of the you know miraculous baptism of the Holy Spirit. Earlier, Brian, I did say there was a um, an allusion, if you will, to a third. Uh, and I guess what I had in mind was with uh, Paul and his uh, seeing Jesus on the road to Damascus uh, and eventually being, you know, baptized and becoming a Christian and now becoming an apostle, uh, which he acknowledges, you know, later on. Again, an, an inference that he also, like the apostles on the day of Pentecost, you know, were given this you know, miraculous ability, inspiration, baptism of the Holy Spirit as well. Key point being, only two recorded, explicitly recorded, instances in the New Testament. Uh, in contrast to that, briefly, we see lots and lots of examples of baptism being immersion in water. You know, we see that in, in Acts 2. Uh, we see that in uh, Acts 8. Uh, we see it in the case of Paul. In fact, throughout the books, uh, book of Acts, we see it over and over and over again, just about if I remember correctly, Brian, every um, conversion in the book of Acts included a reference to uh, either explicitly water baptism or, or baptism in general, but not the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Brian, any thoughts? Yeah, that's that's correct. And it is water baptism that we have today. And so as you touched on early on, you know, we get questions to the website and there are certainly a lot of people that believe that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit today. but as you pointed out in the passages that you read, you know that that was for a very specific purpose, not only to confirm that these men were from God, but it also taught the Israelites that under this new covenant, the gospel would be for all, including the Gentiles, which frankly was probably a little shocking to them, right, Jeff, considering they didn't really like the Gentiles. They were proud of the fact that they were God's chosen people. But God said that covenant was fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross and under this covenant, it, the gospel is open to all. And, and I do want to clarify one thing, you know, under the old law, you had this idea of proselytes. That would be anybody who was willing to do God's will would be accepted by him. So I don't want our listeners to think that only the Israelites were, you know, because they were God's chosen people could be saved, if you will. Uh, anybody could adhere, we're, we're really were expected to adhere to God's principles, but the key is under the law of Christ, it was so important for them to understand that the Gentiles, just like them, uh, were the gospel was for them. And therefore, uh, that's the purpose of this baptism of the Holy Spirit to really illustrate that. Right. And, and as you said, you're, you're trying to overcome, you know, a couple thousand years of, you know, ritualistic distinction between, you know, the children of God and the pagan Gentile nations. Uh, and that was a hard lesson for Jewish Christians to learn. And so not only do we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit being given to empower the apostles, but also to uh, irrefutably convince the Jewish Christians, in the case of Cornelius and his household, that they too are entitled to the gospel message. Yeah, and it's, it's such a wonderful promise and it really shows that god is no respecter of persons as we see in romans chapter 2 he shows no partiality uh the gospel is for all so 
The last section here we'll talk about before we get into questions that uh, we have had submitted to the website on this subject, and that is it's important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is united with the Father and the Son and is part of the Godhead, as we referenced earlier. So this goes all the way back to the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. It says, uh, Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And if you read through Genesis chapter 1, you'll see the word Jesus is there, the Holy Spirit is there, uh, and of course God. And so, you know, it's just part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. We also see in Matthew chapter 28 that when we are baptized, it tells us that we're baptized in, in the Godhead, if you will. So it says here, Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus instructs him, instructs the disciples to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we see clearly that Jesus refers to all three parts of the Godhead. John chapter 15, verse 26, as we touched on earlier, the helper here uh, in, in the New King James that I'm reading from, it says, when the helper comes, referring to the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So once again, it makes it clear what purpose the Holy Spirit served. And so like Jesus, he conveys truth from the Father. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 13 that the Holy Spirit would not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come. And Jesus said that of himself many times, if you remember our last episode, where he said, what I'm telling you is not from me, it's from the Father. And so uh, that's the key point here. And then finally, we touched on Ephesians 4.3 earlier, where we should be united. That was what Jesus taught when he was here. It's what the apostles like Paul emphasized as they taught, that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, how do we do that? Well, we can only do it through the truth. Because we're taught and, in essence, filled with the Holy Spirit through the truth, so not in a miraculous way, but by the truth being in our lives, in our heart, well, if we all follow the same standard, we all allow it to dwell within us, once again, through God's Word, then we are united. But if we're teaching false doctrines like, hey, we're all baptized in the Holy Spirit, or, hey, we can speak in tongues today, then we are not united. That very definition would tell us that we're divided. So anyhow. A uh, few thoughts there um, on the uh, Holy Spirit being part of the Godhead, Jeff, and uh, I'll turn it over to you before we start our questions here. Um, nope, don't really have anything else to add. So, yeah, you want to uh, roll us into the uh, questions segment of our podcast? Yeah, so we always like to end our podcast, if we can, with questions that have been submitted to our website. And this one comes from Buell. Uh, and Jeff uh, Buell says, I have a question about speaking in tongues in the book of Mark, where it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. He then asks, were they speaking in a known language, which they haven't learned, or was it an unknown language? And then he asks a second question, for Christians today, are we to speak in tongues as a sign to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How would you answer that? So two very good questions, and indeed kind of related. So for starters, let's go to Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, where we actually have people speaking in quote-unquote tongues. Uh, and we let, read kind of part of this earlier, and of course this is the apostles on the day of Pentecost, when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, 
and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then if you kind of skip down to roughly verse 6, when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. And this, of course, the Jews gathered on the day of Pentecost for uh, uh, religious observance of Pentecost. Uh, when the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. All right, so right off the bat, what we see here, these tongues are languages, human languages, uh, various languages spoken around the Mediterranean, as you'll see within that context. Um, it is not what we might call gibberish, which I think we observe a lot going on today. You know, gibberish, babble, you know, incomprehensible, who knows what's being said kind of thing. Uh, now, I might mention, uh, in all fairness, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, does talk about Paul speaking with the tongues or languages of men and of angels. So evidently, angels have a spoken language of some type. Um, but key point being, these are like foreign languages, right? Not some sort of incomprehensible, as I said, gibberish uh, that we uh, encounter today that quite honestly is easy to fake. I mean, it's easy to fake just mumbling gibberish or whatever, um, as opposed to the real gift of speaking in tongues, uh, that of speaking in a foreign language that you didn't learn. Like for me, you know, I, I learned a little bit of Spanish, uh, but to speak it suddenly fluently or French or Swahili or Mandarin or et cetera, would, would be the equivalent. The second question was, are Christians today, are we to speak in tongues as a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit? And that too is taught today. Uh, by groups like Pentecostals and Charismatics, etc. That part of, you know, becoming a Christian, being baptized in the Spirit, is this sudden miraculous manifestation of speaking in tongues. Uh, now, we certainly see that uh, aspect of being filled with the Spirit um, and being given divine inspiration or power. We certainly see that in the first century, again, with the Apostles. You know, Acts 4, verse 8, as an example, uh, to include Paul. Uh, Acts 9, 17, and 13, 9, being quote-unquote filled. But this concept of quote-unquote being filled with, filled with the Spirit is not always miraculous. Uh, for example, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, uh, Paul, through the Spirit, admonishes the Ephesians, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, there's our phrase, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is within the context. This is not a miraculous thing. This is when we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you know, one to another. You know, we should be filled with the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, or doing things according to what the Spirit has instructed, you know, through the Word, etc. Uh, certainly, we see speaking in tongues was one of the gifts of the Spirit in the first century. We see that easily, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, but even in that context, Brian, our listeners may notice down in verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 12, not everyone spoke in tongues. Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And of course, it's a rhetorical question Paul is giving them. And the answer is 
No. No, even in the first century, everyone speaking with tongues was not uh, the norm. Uh, and even more to the point than verses now, in the middle of Paul's instruction, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, he pauses in all these guidelines to talk about love being better than all these miraculous gifts. And he says this very curious thing, beginning with verse 8. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. Miraculous knowledge, again, within the context. It'll vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So we see here an explicit promise or prophecy, Brian, that these kinds of miraculous manifestations, whether it's miraculous telling of God's will, prophecy, or foretelling the future, another definition of prophecy, or tongue speaking, miraculous knowledge, there will come a time when those things stop, cease, vanish, when that which is perfect is come. And of course, there's a lot of speculation what that means. But if you look within the immediate context of, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, uh, that this in part is miraculous revelation. So that which is perfect must be the opposite, the, the completion of the revelation. Uh, that this in part will continue until that which is perfect is come. And of course, this ongoing revelation. So is that which is perfect something way out in the distant future and we're going to be constantly given revelation and constantly adding to the Bible? Well, we certainly haven't seen that. Um, when that which is perfect, not when he who is perfect. And, and finally, the other thing, you know, even when that which is perfect comes, faith and hope and love will continue after that which is perfect has come. Some people think that might be Jesus' second coming, etc. But will faith and hope continue after Jesus' return? Well, no. Faith will be converted into sight. Hope will be turned, converted into reality. So really, in some ways, Brian, to, to wrap that up, the only really consistent explanation is it is referring to the completed will of God, uh, as we might call it in the Bible or the, or the New Testament which is kind of reinforced by James 1.25, calling it the, the perfect or complete law of liberty. First uh, Timothy 3.16.17, talking about all scripture, such that we may thoroughly equip to every good work. Uh, and what I might add before we wrap this up, Brian, we did some uh, podcasts, I think they're number 67 and 68, you know, dealing with modern day miracles, modern day tongue speaking, etc., that I would encourage our listeners to go back to and listen to it if they haven't already to um, learn more about this subject of modern day tongue speaking uh, and more generally working miracles in general. Yeah, really good information. Appreciate you sharing that. I really do feel like that answered the question. And I would just, you know, ask our listeners to consider a couple of key points you made, Jeff. One is that, you know, we have the, the scriptures as we've been talking about the truth that's been fully revealed. So therefore, miracles would serve no purpose as far as confirming the truth because it's already been revealed. Now it's by faith that we follow the new covenant. The second thing is, if you have somebody claiming 
to do miracles or perform miracles today, you would have to ask yourself, well, what is their purpose? Why are they claiming to do miracles? Well, most likely it's because they want you to listen to them instead of God's word. So that should be a huge red flag. Uh, are they able to speak in a language that you know that they have no idea of and they now can just speak it? Probably not. You don't really see people claiming to speak in another language today, but instead, as you touched on, Jeff, they'll speak in what we call gibberish, right, which is just these unintelligible words. And even if they were saying, well, these are words of the, the angels, only I can understand it, you need to really look at that and say, well, what are, what purposes is, are they doing this for? Because they want me to follow them? And if the answer is, well, yes, they want me to listen to them, you should show no interest in that because it's God's word that we listen to, not men in that respect. So anyhow, appreciate those thoughts. Yeah. And again, I would encourage our listeners, you know, go back and, and dig into 1 Corinthians 13, because, you know, as we look at the New Testament and the examples and the commands, you could walk away thinking that, you know, the Holy Spirit, ongoing revelation, miraculous gifts, speaking in tongues, healing, raising the dead, which did occur, was supposed to be the norm for all believers, all time, throughout all the coming centuries. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 13, uh, for sure, directly said, no, no, that's not the case. It was a, a limited time, limited event, limited purpose kind of thing. So, Brian, that kind of leads us to the next question from Rodney, who asks, Is God the Father omniscient, God the Son omnipotent, and God the Spirit omnipresent? Do these three terms relate to knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, respectively, when applied to the Christian life? So I, I think the question is kind of related to, you know, given the three people or um, persons in the Godhead, does each of them possess some separate aspect of deity that maybe combined together constitutes deity? At least that's kind of what I infer from it. Yeah, and I guess the short answer to that would be no. And does it relate to knowledge, understanding, wisdom? No. But let's let's uh, say why. Why am I answering no? Well, the scriptures do teach us that all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are omnipotent, which means all-powerful, of course, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, you know, everywhere at all times. How do we know this? Well, let's let the Bible tell us, right? So let's consider the following passages. Psalm 139 beginning in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? So we see the spirit and God here. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So we see this omnipresence, right, from God and the spirit here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So once again, we see that they both have that attribute. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Once again, we see they both are there, share the same attributes. Colossians chapter 1, 
talking about Jesus, beginning in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So there are many more passages, but I think we can just see from these that they clearly teach us about the omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence of all three in the Godhead. So they don't each have like a distinct one, or they, they all share all three, I guess is the easiest way to put it. Now, as for his second question, none of these terms would, would really seem to apply or kind of relate to a Christian's life based on their definitions. I mean, so we know that we are not all-powerful or all-knowing or everywhere at all times, so we can't attribute any of those to us. Um, so therefore, these terms really only apply to the Godhead. However, you know, we, we do know that the Christian should have, as we've been talking about, you know, knowledge and understanding of the truth, and when it's applied, it becomes wisdom. So that's how we gain wisdom and understanding is through studying God's Word. So anyhow, hopefully that answers uh, his questions. Good points. So do we have another one? Yeah, this question comes to us from Lena. Does 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 mean there's no trinity because it didn't mention the Holy Spirit? Jeff, how would you answer that? Okay. So 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, For yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. And I think the quick answer to the question is, uh, this passage does not mean there's no Trinity, uh, because we can easily see the Holy Spirit associated with being a deity uh, elsewhere, and we'll get into that in a few moments. And Brian, this is this is one of those areas where there is a, again a fair amount of confusion about the nature of the Holy Spirit, uh, and you know we see views all the way from the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force like electricity or magnetism, as taught by the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, we see the view that the Holy Spirit uh, and Jesus and God the Father are really only a singular entity, a singular God who can show himself in various forms. That's taught by the Oneness Pentecostals. And as we said at the very beginning, uh, with the uh, King James use of the term Holy Ghost, uh, some people think, well, this is like something sort of mysterious and spooky. Again, various incorrect views of the nature of the Holy Spirit. But as we see through the various readings we've done in our podcast, you know, the Holy Spirit is a you know living, thinking, active entity. Uh, uh, he can communicate. He can be grieved, as we've seen from the various verses. He is indeed separate from the Father and Jesus, not according to the oneness uh, view. Uh, we can see that at John's baptism in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where all three separately are playing an independent part at Jesus' baptism. I mean, you have Jesus in the water, you have this voice from heaven, and you have this spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon Jesus, all three separate. And yet at the same time, they're also all three referred to as being deity, uh, to include Acts chapter 5, verses uh, 3 and 4, where, first of all, Peter uh, rightly accuses Ananias of lying to the Holy Spirit, and then in the next verse, talking about uh, accusing him of not lying to men, but to God. 
And as you mentioned, uh, Matthew 20, verses 19, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all kind of three united together uh, in the baptism of believers to have the forgiveness of sin. So, yes, indeed, Holy Spirit, you know, an equal part of, of the Godhead, an equal and separate <laughs> part of the Godhead. Brian, any uh, comments before we go on to the next question? Yeah, I think this also illustrates why you don't want to just and I'm not saying Lena did this, but for anybody, you know, just look at one passage and say, well, there, you know, does this prove anything? Uh, well, it's possible it could prove something, but more often than not, you want to look at these other passages, as you just pointed out, to see what the truth really is on, on any subject for that matter. So, Good point. Yeah, harmonizing all that the Bible says uh, on a subject. Okay, Brian, looks like you get the uh, last question from Mary, and she says, the Holy Spirit brought to me that I am a sage. I would like to know more about being a sage. Thank you for any information that you can share with me. Yeah, so Mary, you know, mentions that that the Holy Spirit brought to her that she's a sage. And of course, we have many claims today. And, and frankly, I think there are quite a few people that believe that the Holy Spirit endows something on them. Now, in this case, she talks about being a sage, and you know this term sage is not a biblical term you won't find in the Bible, but it's really a man-made term that would describe someone who is revered for their, his or her profound wisdom. Uh, so I think it's important for Mary and for all of us to understand that the Holy Spirit does not speak to us directly today, but only through the Word of God, as we pointed out through this podcast. And so you know, as we touched on in this episode, you know, the word was brought to us by Jesus. It was further revealed to his disciples by the Holy Spirit. To you know, he revealed it to the men that wrote what we have today as the New Testament. And we see this truth based on Hebrews chapter one, uh, verses one and two, where it says, "God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets." has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So you can stop there and say, okay, well, if he's only speaking to us by his son, and of course, as we've talked about the Holy Spirit, then he's not talking to us through men any longer. It says, whom he has, speaking of Jesus, appointed heir of all things through whom he also, or through whom also he made the world. So Jesus was the living word, as we see in John chapter 1, verse 1, and in verse 14. And he told his disciples that after he left the earth, as we studied earlier, he would send the Holy Spirit to reveal the complete truth to them. And so that's how God communicates with man. It was through his son and, of course, through the Holy Spirit. And John 16, 13, as we also touched on, you know, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit did come, as you touched on, Jeff, in Acts chapter 2, and revealed the complete truth to these men. And they wrote, as we also read earlier, what we have in the Bible today because they were moved, as you might remember we saw, by the Holy Spirit. So as a result, the Holy Spirit guides us through his revealed word. You touched on 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Jeff, where it talks about all scriptures given by inspiration of God. So there is really no need now for the Holy Spirit to reveal to somebody like Mary that they are, quote unquote, a sage. First off, the truth comes from God's word. So none of us should be revered or respected or in that way for our knowledge. I mean, I guess you could say respected, Jeff, but but I mean, not revered as in the, hey, look at this great person. Boy, that Jeff, he's so knowledgeable. It's like, no, no, no. It's God's word and it's revealed to us. We apply it, but 
the Holy Spirit is not going to make us somebody special today in that way. So anyhow, those are my thoughts on that. Well, and it's it's interesting also from the perspective of, you know, here, and I don't, I don't mean to pick on Mary, but as an example, you know, here's a person who through some means or mechanisms, and she didn't really say, uh, believes that the Holy Spirit has directly communicated to her. And I know a lot of people today, you know, will claim that as well, direct communication. You know, God laid it on my heart. God wants me to X, Y, or Z. That the Holy Spirit want, wants her to be a quote-unquote sage, which is not a biblical concept. So what's up with that? Number two, if the Holy Spirit's communicating to you directly, why do you need to contact BibleQuestions.org and Brian and myself and others to get uninspired men to tell you what the Holy Spirit allegedly, directly, miraculously told you to do? See, in my mind, just logic says that's, uh, you know, inconsistent, so to speak. Um, but it, I, I think it is indicative, if you will, of a lot of people that get the impression or um, the, the perception that somehow the Holy Spirit is communicating through them through their you know, inclinations or somewhat random thoughts or coincidence, etc., and leads them to believe that you know somehow they now have a, a direct uh, connection, if you will, you know, a modern miraculous uh, direct connection with the Spirit. Brian, any other thoughts as we uh, wrap stuff up for today? Yeah, and that's you know that's what if you think about it, that's what leads to false doctrine. I mean, if you look at all the denominations today, they were started by men and women who believed they had some miraculous revelation or something to add to God's word. And so that also should be a red flag. If somebody claims to have been given, like you said, X from the Holy Spirit, it's like, well, hang on, why are you saying this? Well, because you want me to follow you and your truth. Now, the Bible's given us all things, and so we don't need anybody else's thoughts in that respect. So anyhow. Oh, good point. Good point. All right, so as we wrap up today's podcast, would as we always like to do, refer our listeners to, back to the website to give them additional resources uh, for them to continue their study if they're interested in this or any other topic. Uh, in today's case, with the Holy Spirit and getting to know the Holy Spirit better, uh, at our website under the Topics menu item, uh, you can find individual, relay, individual articles related to H for Holy Spirit, or under topics M for miracles, N for nature of God, uh, and T for tongues. Uh, also, at this point, we've got a fairly good number of previous podcasts uh, that you can now go back and uh, listen to, uh, including podcast number 12 and number 13 uh, on the Holy Spirit, uh, part one and two. And as we mentioned earlier in today's podcast, uh, podcast number 67 and 68, where we dealt with modern-day miracles. And all these materials, again, we would encourage you to uh, investigate, read the scriptures, study for yourselves, come to a conclusion uh, that's scriptural, uh, based on the Bible, not just on what we're saying, and then actually uh, apply it to our lives to be more pleasing to God. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.
think our listeners 